0: Father, I thank you and praise you that when I was far away, you sought me and you got a hold of my life, you opened my understanding, and more than that, you humbled my heart so I could hear and understand and accept your great gospel, your good news, that all my sin has been paid for on the cross, and that forgiveness and and new life is found through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. I thank you that you sought me out while I was a stranger while I was far away from you and you have brought me near through the blood of Jesus you brought me near to God you've brought me into a close relationship not a distant one where you're some far off divine being but you are my God you dwell you tabernacle in me you you set up your home in my heart and that kind of nearness cannot be bought and and it cannot be earned, and God, it is your free gift, and I'm so happy to be in that family and uh, be included in what your gospel has done. God, I pray for every single person hearing my voice, God, that you would um, fill them with your love, with your grace, uh, help them to know the truth that you have planned and ordained for their lives. God, that even though we've gone through many difficult things and hard things, that you know us, that you've chosen us, that you've called us out of living for ourselves and instead to live for you and for your glory. And God, we gladly choose you. We gladly uh, would give up all uh, in exchange for having our sins washed away um, and, and we want to follow you, we want to know you, we want to stay close to you, Jesus. It's easy to drift away, and I pray that we would avoid that, that we would be saved from that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, stay close to Jesus. That's what this is called. We're going to dive right into our text, and it starts right out in Mark chapter 14, verse 53. It says, And they led Jesus away to the high priests, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. So this is a who's who of all the people who were in charge of the entire nation of Israel. They're all gathered together. It says this, now careful, look at this. It says, but Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Peter, he still fancies himself the greatest disciple. We know that he's full of pride at this point in his life. And he, he tried just moments ago to cut the high priest's servant, Balchus. his, he tried to cut his head in half. He missed and just got his ear and Jesus rebuked him for that. And Jesus healed the ear. And Jesus said, Peter, this is not your battle to fight. This is my battle, and I am going to submit to all these evil people, and they are going to kill me, and I'm going to rise from the dead. But Peter doesn't understand any of that, and he is following close. I think he's kind of confused and brokenhearted, and Jesus is his friend, and and he's, he's following, but look what it says there. He's following at a distance, at a distance. And I just, here's a hint for successful following, stay close to the person that you're following. Uh, It's always funny whenever I'm driving with somebody and I'm supposed to lead them, uh, you know, my wife and I are always joking about how um, I I drive maybe too fast for the person uh, who's following me and I always leave them and um, I always say, hey, it's their job to stay close to me. So now I have biblical reason to win that argument. Haha. Ha. But seriously, how are we supposed to stay close to Jesus? If this verse is a a warning to us about st- about f- about following at a distance, then how are we supposed to stay close to Jesus like like Peter should have. Peter should have been close to him, how do we keep from drifting away, drifting away? Well, there's a, there's an important verse in Hebrews chapter two, verse one, that says very simply Hebrews two, one, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. We must give more diligent heed, other other versions say, to the word that we've heard, or we will drift away. We have to pay attention. We have to pay more attention. And he says there's a danger, there's a very real danger of you and me drifting away from the presence of Jesus, from where we're supposed to be. And he says here that, We have to pay attention to what we've heard. And what that means is that the word of God that you've heard is key. It is like an anchor. An anchor that goes down into the tossing ocean that wants to cause you to drift away. And this anchor can hold us firm. It can keep us from drifting away. The Word of God. We are supposed to stay close to it, stay in it. By the way, what is Jesus' name? In John chapter 1, he is called the Word of God. So it's not saying that there's a magical book that will act as an anchor for your life, but it is saying the book of the Bible which is inspired by Jesus and provides a relationship with Jesus, if we read it and believe it and put our hope in Him, that will be the anchor for our lives, the Word of God. So Paul says we must pay closer attention. And in the Greek, those few words added together means exceedingly, abundantly, abundantly and vehement attention. We have to be, it has to be all that we care about. When we wake up in the morning, I am going to shift my attention. I'm going to stare at and gaze at with passion the Word of God. I'm going to get my direction from Him. Now, drifting can be so easy. It can be so dangerous. There was a guy named Salvador Alvarenga. And he has set the record, as far as we know, for drifting. He drifted at sea from just off the coast of Mexico. He drifted for 438 days. This is back in 2012. He uh, he got into a storm and lost all the power on his boat. And he left Mexico and landed 438 days later. Uh, on well, he he saw one of the Marshall Islands on the other side of the Pacific Ocean, the Marshall Islands, and he swam to it and arrived there naked and holding a knife. He was actually healthy, pretty healthy, and he survived and, and was reunited with his family sometime later. <clears throat> and this drifting happened without any effort on his. He survived miraculously. I read all about it this week. On uh, on rainwater, um, among other things that he had to drink when he didn't have rainwater, um, and and fish and birds and turtles and jellyfish, uh, these are all the things that he ended up surviving on. <clears throat> but he just sat there, and he ended up all the way on the other side of the ocean. And let me tell you, spiritually, I feel like maybe I have. Done this at times in my life. There have been times where I didn't actively dive into the life of Jesus Christ every day. I was passive and I let my relationship with God just kind of sit there and bob up and down, and the current that I didn't even notice was pushing me and dragging me and causing me to float and drift. Very, very, very far. And I ended up in places that I did not want to be doing things I did not think I would do. And it was all very mysterious to me. But it shouldn't have been. Because Hebrew says, I need to pay attention or I will drift away. I need to keep a close relationship with Jesus or I will drift away. You guys heard the, the hymn that we just sang right as church was beginning. The third song that, uh, that our beloved uh, Jared sang for us it was called Come Thou Fount. And that's, that uh, hymn was written by Robert Robinson. Uh, and what happened is Robert drifted away in his life after he wrote this song he became somewhat of a prodigal and he had had he just grew distant from god and he wasn't attending church maybe like he should but he really wasn't reading the word of god and applying it to his life he didn't have a close relationship with god and he was he was just drifting 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 until and and this is a great i love that there's an until because god he will leave the 99 Healthy and safe sheep, and he will go after that one that is wandering. And that's what God did with Robert Robinson. He went after him, he was wandering until one day he was riding in a stagecoach and he was sitting next to a woman. And God was working in this situation, and God had had this woman reading and singing his very song. And as she was thinking about those words, she asked him what he thought of this specific phrase from his own song. She did not know. She asked him, what do you think of these words? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And as she said those words to Robert, he burst into tears and he said to her as he was crying and weeping, he said, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. That's quite the strong reaction from someone who had a close relationship with Jesus and lost it or drifted away. And I agree with him. There is nothing that satisfies like the joy of the Lord. Nothing in this world means anything if you don't have Jesus. A close relationship with Jesus is everything. That matters. Psalm uh, 16 verse 11 is a famous verse and says something amazing. Check this out. This is just a treasure. It says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David says, God, in your presence is fullness of joy. There's nothing that can make any human being any happier than being in the presence of God, knowing that there is love there and acceptance. Now, on the other hand, if you're an enemy of God, being in His presence is the scariest thing in the entire universe, because God's enemies are always beaten, destroyed, cast out. There is no hope if you're an enemy of God, but if you're a friend of God... And if you're a child of God, being in his presence is, it says, fullness of joy. And it says even more, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So as we stay in a close relationship with Jesus, he says, Man, what bothers me so much is when people think that heaven will be boring. There could be nothing further from the truth. What do you think is exciting and brings happiness in your life in this world? heaven is going to be with the source of that. Whatever you think has brought you happiness, heaven will be the pure source of that. So it's just the dumbest thing to say that heaven will be boring because you will be experiencing the source of the river and not just the the deluded part that we get to experience today. All the things that make us happy today are a shadow of the real thing heaven will bring. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are our pre- pleasures forevermore. That is the truth that God brings to us through his beloved son, Jesus. Now, uh, if you want further reading on that subject, John Piper wrote a really great book called Desiring God. And in it, he explains how every believer should realize that if they want to be the happiest they can be, both in this life and in the life to come, they need to seek God and, and, and find Him in His presence. And that will be the most maximum amount of joy possible for your life. To live in His presence, to seek Him and find Him through the Word of God is the happiest you can ever be. Every other thing that the world says will make you happy is a cheap ripoff of this this real, intimate, true relationship and nearness with God through Jesus, through the Word of God. And so what do I encourage you to do and what do I do myself? I I think that we should have a holy habit, habit. We should develop habits that help us connect to the anchor and stay close to Jesus. And that is very simple, guys. What I mean is develop a habit of spending time with Jesus. Do your devotions in the Word of God daily. Read or write, read and write, and listen to something uh, that, it, that is drawing you near to Jesus, and pray. And just do that daily. Daily. It is so important. This this joy does not come immediately, but it's like a fruit that's developed by a tree that is abiding in the dirt. It stays connected to the vine, and that's the fruit of joy that we can have if we keep close to the Lord. I am always amazed whenever I meet someone that has drifted away from the Lord, and I ask him the simple question, tell me about your daily relationship with the Lord. And 100 times out of 100, if a person has drifted away, they always confess, I haven't been spending time with the Lord. Maybe I can pick out a time where I said a prayer or I did a thing, but if I were to ask, is it a consistent daily relationship with the Lord? The answer for a backslider is always... No. Now let me ask you this one simple question Did Jesus leave you or did you abandon him? And the answer to that question is always the same Jesus did not abandon us. We chose to turn our backs on him, we chose to walk away or to just not care that much, to not invest, and to not stay close. And so we drifted away. But Jesus has never left us. He will never forsake us. And even today, if you find yourself having drifted away, hear the voice of the Lord and just come back. Peter, Peter was following at a distance, and Peter's about to get you know, his butt kicked. He's about to fail worse than he's even failed already. And and uh, and in that, he still has the eyes and the voice of the Lord saying, Peter, I love you. I'm not angry with you, but I want you to come back to me. Come back to me. All right, so let's continue on with our text because some very, very interesting things are happening. It says, Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death and found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. Now this is funny. Let's pause right here to just say, Jesus did say that. Of course, he meant his own body. He wasn't referring to the temple that they uh, loved. But this was supposed to be wonderful news for all the people. But they can't see this wonderful news because of their hatred for Jesus. And really their hatred for God and God's plan. This was supposed to cause joy for all men. And they can't figure it out because they don't want his joy. They want to be rid of him. And there we see the deepest parts of our hearts. We don't want God to rule over us and even things that are supposed to be there for our joy and to make us happy, we see as a threat to our livelihood, a threat to our control and we don't want those things and and it's just sad. And so here now, look, the high priest loses his temper and look what he says. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus saying, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. So now the high priest takes things into his own hands. He's, he's done with all these other witnesses trying to, to get Jesus on, on some technicality. And he says, the high priest uh, said to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? He's just coming right out there. And Jesus said, I am. Whoa! That's right there. Just stop and pause and think about what we're witnessing here. That is the most awesome response Jesus gives. He has no fear. This, this uh, you know, high priest, he is threatening him with anger, and he knows that he wants to kill him. And Jesus is like, I am the Son of God, which makes him equal with God. He's actually saying the word, I am, which was the name of God. I am. When Moses asked God, what is your name? God said, I am. What does that mean? Always so confusing. I am. It means I am whatever you need. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the light of the world. I am all the things that you need. I am. That's what that truly means. So Jesus said that he asked him, are you the the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the blessed? who we know is God in human flesh, according to the scriptures. And Jesus said, I am. And then Jesus goes on and he says, and you will see the son of man. That's another term for the Messiah sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And this Jesus is quoting a prophecy uh, from the Old Testament. And so two layers, Jesus answers this question and says, yes, I am God. I am the Son of God. I am God in human flesh. I am the Messiah, and you are going to see it before very long. I am going to fix everything, and I have all power in heaven and earth. I am going to be seated at the right hand of the power in heaven, and you have no chance if you reject me. That's what Jesus says to him. I just think that's so... Um, awesome. And then the high, pri- the high priest tore his clothes. Remember that. Pay attention to that. He tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard that. So he's basically saying, We don't need to follow any rules. I'm so angry and I'm the boss. Let's just kill him. He, he says, What further need have we have any witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death Now there's an aspect of this that we need to consider. Okay, Mark reveals that Caiaphas, who's the name of this high priest, he tore his clothes. Now you might just breeze past that if as you're reading it, but if you remember, according to the Mosaic law, the high priest was forbidden from ever uncovering his head or rending his garments, tearing his clothes. So in a fit of rage, Caiaphas disqualifies himself from serving God as God's high priest. According to the law, you are no longer worthy to carry out the duties of the high priest. And it's amazing because what Jesus is doing is he is fulfilling all the righteous demands of God. He is is taking care of everything right here. And as he sheds his blood on the cross and he presents it to God as the sacrifice and the substitute for our sins, he is doing away with the need for a human high priest, a a high priest on this world. And in fact, Jesus is becoming our high priest in the heavenly realm. Caiaphas didn't realize it, but the high priest would no longer be necessary on earth because of what Jesus is doing right here, right now. Jesus would ascend to God up in heaven. He would present blood just like the high priest would do. And he would provide forgiveness for all of God's people, but with the real blood that actually washes away sin, not the animal blood that just covered over sin for a little bit, like the high priest would do. So Caiaphas, unknowing even to himself, and through this fit of rage, disqualifies himself from doing a job that was being done away with, even in the very moment. I think that is amazing. Now, look at what happens. And it makes us angry, but it says, Then some began to spit upon him, and to blindfold Jesus, and they beat him, And they said to him, prophesy, you know, tell us which one of us is hitting you. Give us our name. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Here we have the description of the beginning of the physical sufferings of Jesus at the hands of sinful men. And I want to take us back to Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. Check this out. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, it says, I gave my back to those who struck me, my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard, and I did not hide my face from shame and from spitting. That was written 1,400 years before Jesus. Can you believe how everything Jesus suffered was really foreordained and he excuse me he knew what was coming. Almost everything written about Jesus was prophesied before in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before his came before he came. This is done by God so that there would be no confusion. That there would be no doubt that he is the real Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. So when Jesus came and every single part of his story lines up with the prophecies of the Old Testament, hundreds and hundreds of prophecies, no person can logically, if they want to honestly consider the evidence, no person can say Jesus was not the Messiah. Every person who honestly looks at the evidence, looks at the prophecies, and then honestly looks at Jesus' life, must acknowledge it was talking about Jesus. Now, you can make your decision of whether you're going to choose to follow him or to obey him and to accept his sacrifice for your sins, but... If you look at the evidence, you cannot deny that Jesus was the one that was foretold for thousands of years by God through all of his scriptures. Any heart that really wants to know the truth can easily discern it. It is so clear. But most people don't really want to know because if he is God's son then he must be obeyed and honored as God's son, and that's not what we want to do. We naturally want to rebel against anything that is our authority. So, Jesus says, you can, you can go to hell, you can, you can die in your sins, but I'm going to tell you something, it will be over my dead body, that you have to step over my body, You have to go right through my cross in order to go to hell. I'm going to do everything needed to save you because I love you and I have done it for you. And I was thinking about you as I was being beaten and as my beard was being plucked and as they were spitting on my face. I loved you and I did it for you. Now, Peter, Back to the real subject of what's going on here. As Peter was below in the courtyard, Jesus is getting beat above him. Peter is below in the courtyard, and one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And then he went out on the porch and the rooster and a rooster crowed and the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them, but he denied it again. And a little later, he stood by those who stood by Peter said to Peter again, surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean. Your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and to swear. I do not know this man whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed and then Peter called to mind the word which Jesus said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept bitterly. You see, God will work it out. He will work out everything to show you that you need Him. He doesn't need you. You need Him. And He knows everything and He knows that we cannot succeed in anything without Him. We cannot stand on our own. And we've been tracking this this. Thing with Peter, where Peter's pride has kept him from acknowledging that he needs Jesus. He's been wanting to be Jesus' helper, Jesus' savior. He's been wanting, you know, to be the best disciple, and we've seen this prideful attitude kept Peter from praying, and, and he he's failed already, and this is obviously his worst failure. We cannot stand on our own, and Peter must learn that. And for us to learn that lesson, we have to be broken, we have to see for ourselves that we are lame. That we cannot do it ourselves. So for us to actually stand, for us to actually stand up and do what's right and to, and to not sin like what Peter's doing, we have to live in profound, moment-by-moment moment dependence upon the Father. And that's what Peter was lacking. He'll, he'll figure it out, but it's what he's been lacking. And it's what I tend to lack. It's what I do lack when I have drifted from the Lord. I lo- no longer depend on my Father. Paul summed it up best when he said in First Corinthians 12, he said, My power, God's power, is made perfect in our weakness. For when I am weak... Then I am strong, Paul said. God is not looking for impressive or strong people. He is looking only for weak people who He can pour out His strength on them. Always, that is God's plan. God is attracted. To weakness. We as human beings are attracted to strength. Give me the first round draft pick. Give me the strong one. Give me the one who I don't need to help. But God is just the opposite. He says, give me the weakest, lamest, worst one who I can save and I can show that I am awesome. That is God's way and God's plan. And it's just the opposite of how we think. But it's great news because, if we're honest, we are the weak ones. We are the lame ones. We are not the first-round draft pick in anything. And God says, that's fine. That's who I'm looking for. I love you, and I'm there for you. It's been said, the Lord has the strength and I had the weakness, so we teamed up, and it's an unbeatable combination. That's a good one, I think. Hudson Taylor, missionary to China. He said, God chose me because I was weak enough. He trained somebody to be quiet enough, and then he uses them. Do you want to be used by God? God. It's about being weak, and it's about being quiet. Spending time with the Lord will help us to be those things. We will see our weakness in the Word of God as we read the law, and we see that we fail in every point, and then we will see His strength as we see what Jesus does and by faith accept it for us. Again, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4-7, But we have the treasures in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That is the treasure of the Christian life. Nothing to do with you because you are lame at doing good things. The treasure is His power in us. I'm going to tell you a story of a reformer. So back in the 1500s, 1200s to 1500s, this guy named Thomas Cranmer was was being tortured because, uh, you know, the Catholic Church at the time was super evil. And he was trying to bring some reformation to the church. And Thomas Cranmer was tortured so much. And they forced him with his right hand to write out a recantation. He, they forced him to recant all the true things that he had said. And that people should to study the Bible. They should trust in the Lord. And that they sh- it shouldn't be about the Catholic Church. But it should be about the Bible. And the Bible was truth. And they forced him to write this. Uh, uh, torturing him. Okay, and they made it, and then after he wrote it, they held it up for people to see and said, "See, look, you shouldn't believe the Bible because this guy Thomas, who, who he wrote a recant, he recanted, you know, he came to his senses, and these just evil, evil, evil people doing this." Well, a few years later, he was in Oxford, and he, you know, had an opportunity to say. No, I didn't mean that. I was being tortured, and I do not mean that recantation. I do not mean that I regret saying anything that I said. And I'm sorry that I even wrote it, even while being tortured. So the Catholic Church said, well, we're going to burn you at the stake. And he said, fine, you can burn me at the stake, but I have one request. I want you to burn My right hand first. I want it to be the first thing that burns because I wrote something untrue with that hand. This guy, Thomas Cranmer, was eventually burned at the stake after he let his right hand burn away in the fire. He burned, and while he burned, he sang praises to God. How would he do that instead of denying God? By moment by moment, dependence upon Jesus. That is how. Peter, he denied him. Thomas Cranmer, he did not deny him. Even through fire and his hand being burned, even though Peter stood by a fire, he was afraid. Why do I bring up these two contrasts? Because you have an opportunity today and every day to deny Jesus or to not deny Jesus. When I'm too busy to pray, I deny that you are the center of my life, Jesus. I deny that all good things come from you. I deny that you answer prayers. I'm a denier when I am too busy to pray. When I neglect your word, your Bible, I deny that you are competent to guide me. I deny that your word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, that it is the bread that I'm supposed to eat spiritually and for my spiritual health. I deny you when I neglect your word. When I worry, I deny that you are the Lord of my circumstances, that you are in charge of everything. Lord, forgive me for worry. When I turn my head from the hungry and the homeless, I deny that you are the God of mercy that has put me here to be your hands and your feet, and you have given me more than I need, and I should be generous. But I deny that. When I steal something from another person to enrich my life, whether it be something material or some credit that is rightly due to someone else, which I have claimed for myself, I deny that you are the source of all blessings, that my reputation is only from you. I deny you. And I think what I'm saying here is that I deny him daily, when I don't trust Him. What should we do, and this is the last thing we're going to say, what should we do if we recognize that we are denying Jesus? The answer is simple. Repent. What does that mean, repent? Repentance means to agree with God. Or to say the same thing that God says about the thing. Repent. So if God says, pray, we say, I'm going to pray. And we pray. If God says, abide in his word, we abide. We keep reading. We just keep reading. Not because we are earning something from God is because God says it and we're going to agree with Him that it is the source of our life. When God says we can trust Him, that's what we do. We put our hope in Him no matter what circumstances are in our life. When God says forgive others and love them even if they don't deserve it and you will be forgiven, we're going to believe those words. We're going to offer forgiveness to people who don't deserve it. We're going to love our friends and our enemies because He says it, and we're going to agree with Him. When God says He loves us, can we agree with that? When God says He sees us as perfect in His Son, when He says He's forgiven and cast away our sins as far as the east from the west, we are going to agree with God that His word is true, And we don't understand how our sins can be done away with because I just did some today. But I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to agree with Him. And thus I will be trusting Him and close to Him and I will have His joy as the consequence for living near and in His presence. All these things, I think, are so encouraging Because we, like Peter, have failed and failed and failed in our lives. And yet Jesus loves us. And all we have to do is agree with him. Okay, Lord, you have washed away my sins. You have loved me and you have done more for me than I could ever even understand. And I will stay close to you and I will read your word and I will believe what I see in there. And you will do everything for me, because I am weak, and you are strong. I am nothing, and you are everything, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.